Grab your Bible if you got it and open it to the book of Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10 along the lines of verse 34. It's a pretty powerful set of scriptures here. While you're uh, trying to find it, let me just give you a little bit of background before we jump into what we're reading so you know what we're reading. There was a man in the 10th chapter of Acts that we read about, if you go back to the first part of the chapter, a man by the name of Cornelius. He wasn't a Jewish man, he was a Gentile man, but he was a good man. He was a godly man. He, he, the Bible says he prayed a lot. Uh, he gave a lot of money to people who were poor. Uh, he was just a genuinely good guy, but he needed Jesus. How many of you know somebody like that? Amen? There's a lot of good people and will give you the shirt off their back, but they still need Jesus. And that's kind of the way uh, Cornelius was. And so during, his, during the time that he was praying and, and, and contemplating on God, uh, an angel comes and appears to him and says to him, look, Cornelius, God has seen you. All the times you've given money out of the kindness of your heart, all the times that you have prayed seeking the God of the universe, God sees that and he wants you to know it's come up as a memorial before him and he's going to fine tune what you believe and what you know. And so what I want you to do, Cornelius, is send some guys over to Joppa and look for a man by the name of Peter. Call for Peter to come to your house and he will explain to you everything that you need to know. And you've heard me say this a million times over, the angel could have went ahead and told Cornelius about Jesus, but who does God decide to use to tell people about Jesus? Us, people, right? And so he goes and he gets Peter, and, and these guys, uh, they tell Peter, they, they tell him the whole story. Our master, Cornelius, God spoke to him. We're supposed to come get you. You're supposed to come and, and talk to us and tell us what God says. So Peter goes, and as, as Peter gets to the house of Cornelius, and all of Cornelius, he gathers. Cornelius gathers all of his family, all of his friends. He recognizes that God is about to speak to them through Peter. And so we've got everybody's hearts and prepared and ready to hear what God would say. And as we pick up in verse 34, this is what God is saying to them through Peter. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. The King, James, King James says he's no respecter of persons. What that means is this. God loves every human being exactly the same. Up until this point in history, there was Jews and there were Gentiles. It was just commonly known in the world that God blessed and loved the Jews, but the Gentiles were all kind of outcasts, and so the, the Jews got somewhat cocky. But they're realizing now in this moment that God loves everybody, and so Peter, is, as a Jew, is saying to these Gentiles, I want you to understand that God loves you as much as he loves me. You know, that's in a very, very effective evangelistic tool, I might add. If you're talking to somebody and they've got a colorful past and they feel like they can never be good enough for God and you've, maybe you've lived a fairly decent moral life, what you need to understand, they need to understand, is God loves them just the same as he loves us. Amen? With God, there is no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him. Everybody say anyone. Anyone, anyone who fears him and does, does what is right and, and acceptable to him as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Everybody say all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Everybody say all. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. 
But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all at that time at least, the, the people, but to, all, to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, everybody say everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I want to talk about, but the title of my message this morning is just simply this, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Can you pray with me this morning? Father, as we come to you once again today, Lord, and we recognize the power of your word. We recognize the importance of it. And God, to me, as Peter was on that day, speaking to the household of, of Cornelius, there was nothing special about Peter. He was no more holy than anybody else. And I recognize this morning that I stand up here as a man, flesh and blood, susceptible to failure and, and weakness, same as everybody else. There's no spiritual, extra spiritual value to me. I stand up here as a man speaking a word, God, that you have not only given in your written word, but that you have placed in my spirit, and I pray that it would accomplish its purpose today. Anoint our ears to hear that our minds would be alert and receptive to what you would speak, that, God, we would recognize you and declare you all this morning as Lord in our life, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Give me a big shout of amen. 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 So I think it's interesting in verse 36 here, as Peter is, is preaching to this people, and he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, and in parentheses, you'll notice in your Bible, the, the Bible translators put in parentheses there, he is Lord of all. It, it's, like, it's like Peter saying, well, God, you know, he, he really blessed Israel, he's Lord of all. It's almost like he's saying, as a, in a side note, I don't know the theological reason necessarily why that's in parentheses. And so it's like he's saying as a side note, but here's the bottom line when you really stop and think about it, that Peter up until that point, Jesus and Peter and all the disciples had preached to pretty much who? Jews, right? And so Peter is now transitioning from preaching to Jews. It was easy for him to say to Jews, to the Jews, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. And so he's going through and he's preaching to these people who before in their life never knew what it was to be loved by God. That concept of being accepted and loved and included into God's plan had never been presented to them. It was foreign. And so Peter, as he's, he's preaching to these people, he's saying, you know, God who blessed, uh, you know, we preach the good news of peace through Jesus Christ to the Jews, he's also Lord of all. Meaning, look, you guys have just as much right and access into the glory of God as the Jews do. I think Paul said in, the, in Ephesians, the second chapter, that we are no longer strangers to the covenants of promise. Those, who us, those of us who were afar off from God are now brought close to God through Jesus Christ. All of us. He is Jesus Christ, Lord of all. This little bitty phrase in parentheses that's almost like a side note that, that literally declares who God is and the power and the love of God. There's so much in that. What is a Lord? He's saying to them, he's Lord of all. What does that mean even? We sing songs about Jesus being Lord, and I wonder many times we declare him to be Lord, and we don't really even know what that means. We talk about Jesus being our Lord and Savior, and we can get a pretty good comprehension of what Savior means, and most people are okay with identifying Jesus as their Savior, because when we think of Jesus being our Savior, we know that means he's saving us from our sins. I no longer have to fear going to hell because Jesus saved me from hell. He is my savior. And everybody wants that. Everybody wants Jesus to be their savior so that we don't have to go to hell. 
But he is not only Savior, he is Lord. What does that mean? It means that he is king and ruler over our life. That we become, we serve him in every aspect of our life. You might look at it like this. The Savior part is for eternity. The Lord part is for our life right now. That Jesus Christ is our Lord. A Lord is a master and owner with complete might and power. The person who ultimately is in charge is the Lord. Now we find different times where the, the term Lord is used to address, you know, anybody in authority really, uh, different scriptures even where they would say, you know, my Lord. You've seen it on, if you've seen any kind of night movie, they always come into the king and they say, my Lord. It's, it, they're referring to somebody in authority, whether it's a, a king or a slave owner, an employer, a husband even. The ladies would refer to their husband as Lord. And Guys, I think we ought to bring that back. What do you think? Amen? Amen. Ladies, ladies, next time you do something for your husband, next time you bring him a glass of tea or, or something like that, I want you to bring him this glass of tea and I want you to say, here's your iced tea, my Lord. All right? Just make him feel good, okay? Just make him feel good. You know in your mind who really is in charge, but it'll make him feel good, right? But ultimately, anybody who's, who's in authority, in, in, at least in that day and time, uh, was referred to as Lord. But when we think about Lord as it refers to God, Jesus is Lord of all. In Revelation, we get a picture of Jesus when he returns on a white horse, being the word of God, the word of God coming from his mouth, his eyes like fire. We see Jesus in all of his glory, and the Bible says upon his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of Lords, that means you take the highest of, of authority, the man or the woman on the planet that has the ultimate highest authority. He is Lord of whatever. Jesus is Lord of him, amen? Jesus is the ultimate Lord. He is the ultimate master, the ultimate owner with complete might and power over the entire universe, amen? He is literally Lord of all. Everybody comes under his subjection. Nobody is above him. We get cocky in our life and we think we're above him. Nobody's going to say, oh, no, I, don't, I know God's above me. No, 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 you don't. No, we don't. I mean, we live our life many times. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst one. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit. Many times we live our life as though we're Lord, as, as though we are in ultimate control, as though I want my way and I want, I'm a man of my house and so on and so forth. I want my wife to call me Lord, right, and my children. And we, we want to be Lord of our life and therefore we just live it however we want to without even really giving a thought as to what God would have us to do. We have to come to a place and be humble enough to recognize he's Lord of all. He's my Lord. Jesus dictates or should dictate every aspect of my life. And you know what? You're not losing anything by that happening. We feel like when we give control unto God that we're losing control. Folks, you, you ever realize, you ever notice that the cross is in the form of a plus? Everything that Jesus gives, everything Jesus does for us adds to our life. It doesn't take anything away. It adds to. It makes our life better. Not perfect, not free from trouble, but making him Lord, we we'll never regret that. Amen? He's Lord of all. The word, the word Lord in referencing God, at least, not slave owners and all that stuff, but as it references God in the New Testament, let me give you a little bit, little Bible study here this morning. The word, the word Lord is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament word Jehovah or Yahweh, okay? So when you go back to, to Moses at the burning bush, and what, what did God declare to Moses when, when God was talking to Moses in the burning bush? What did God declare his name to be? Do you remember? I am. 
I am that I am. Everything is in me. I am. And from that phrase come, we, comes the word Jehovah or Yahweh, which references God. But when you get into the later part of the Old Testament, the Jews were very legalistic, okay? I mean, in other words, they made up rules that even God didn't make up. And some of the legalistic Jews later in the Old Testament period felt like it was that the name Yahweh or the name Jehovah was too holy, it was too sacred to pronounce, and so therefore they would use the word Lord instead. Now, God never said, I don't want you to speak my name. That was something man came up with. So we're going to use the word Lord in, in, in place of Yahweh or, or Jehovah. You say, what's that got to do with anything? Here's the thing. Today, as Christians, we don't hesitate to speak the divine name of God. Amen? Hallelujah. And you know why you and I can speak the divine name of God? Whether we're praying and we call him Yahweh or Jehovah or God or Father or Master or Jesus or Christ, when we're, we can speak not only the name of God, we can speak to God because Jesus taught us to do it that way. Jesus comes along, completely blows the whole religious scene apart. People say, oh, we can't even speak the name of God. Jesus said, you, you can and you must speak the name of God. In fact, Jesus says this, whatsoever things you ask in my name, the Father's going to do it. Hallelujah. He is our Lord, our master, the owner of the universe. How dare we ever try to raise our value above his? Peter's mission, as, as is ours, was to declare Jesus Christ is Lord of all, amen? Everywhere he went, to everyone he spoke to, that was the message on his lips. Peter had already declared, remember, to Jesus himself, I believe and I am convinced that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, amen? On the day of Pentecost, we find where Peter stands up when the crowd had gathered, Peter stands up and he says, let, let the whole house of Israel assuredly know that there not be a doubt in your mind that God has made this Jesus who you crucified both Lord and Christ. <clears throat> Whether you like it or not, Jesus is now in charge. Amen? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Whether we like it or not, God is in control. Now, God always has been in control. God didn't need us to create the world. I love it when God's speaking to Job and Job's got this complaint to God and God basically says, where were you when I created the world? Where were you? I mean, who are you to counsel me, right? I was there. I didn't need you before. I was in charge of everything before. God is in charge of everything right now. Can I encourage you this morning to know that when you turn on the news and you see the chaos in the world, and it looks like the devil is just in control and ravaging the world and it seems like there's no hope. Can I encourage you to know that despite all of the chaos, God is very much still in control of all of his creation. Everything that happens is inside God's wheelhouse and within his palm of his hand. He's still in control and whether we like it or not, he is always going to be in control. It will be the father who decides in the moment that he so sees fit to send his son back to this earth and put an end to the world as we know it. Old-fashioned notion? Maybe so. You believe it, you don't. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still going to happen. Because God is ultimately the one in control. He started the world. He can... He can end it when he wants to. You ever, you ever tell your children, I brought you into this world and I can take you out? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's the way God is. Hey, I created the world and I can take it out. 
He's in control. There's nothing. He's Lord and he's Christ. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Lord of all. You gotta understand, now, now, now understand that Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? We, we, we say Jesus Christ. We assume Jesus is his first name, Christ is his last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his title. It's, it's his title. It's who he is. I'll give you a little bit more Bible study here. Christ in the New Testament, first of all, let me say this. You may not know this. You might. You may think this is completely boring and irrelevant, but I like to bring up boring and irrelevant points every now and again. The, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, okay? Because it's written by Jews. The New Testament is written in Greek for the most part, mostly Greek, okay? So we have, you know, different type of words. So in the Old Testament, when you see the word Messiah, and in the New Testament, you see the word Christ, it's the same word, okay? means the same thing. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. He is the Christ. That's his title. Jesus is the Messiah. We sang this song, Jesus Messiah, and you might have been singing it thinking, oh, great, Jesus is the Messiah. What in the world does that mean? I don't even know what the Messiah means. For thousands of years, the Jews, it was prophesied by the prophets of, of old that, that God would one day send a Messiah, a Christ. And the word Messiah, the word Christ, means anointed one. The one anointed by God, the one sent by God, it also means deliverer. God one day will send a Messiah. He will send a deliverer. He will anoint one to come and deliver. Now, the Jews for many, 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 many generations always looked for a Messiah, an anointed one, a deliverer, to come and defeat their natural enemies. Defeat the enemies of the earth and set up a worldly kingdom so that the Jews would be top dog. That's the Messiah they were looking for. What they missed was that God intended for the Messiah, the Christ that would come to deliver the earth from the greatest, not, not from earthly enemies. The Messiah would come to deliver all people, not just the Jews. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one would come to deliver all people from the greatest enemy there is, our sin. There's no greater enemy. Our sin is what separates us from God and Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the deliverer came to set you and I free from our sins. And if you've been saved, can I get an amen on that? Amen. Hallelujah. We still got to declare the same thing. The message is still the same. It hasn't changed. That Jesus Christ is still Lord. We got to declare that. He's still deliverer. Amen? We have to declare that. There's still deliverance in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of the leper, not of the leaper. Ten lords of leaping. I guess he'd be Lord of the leper. You know, even jokes just come. You know, I mean, these are the jokes, folks. I mean, I just kind of popped in my head. I, I, when I saw my note, and I said leper, and it looked like leaper. Just so happened. Ten lords of leaping. Anyway, uh, you, got, you guys won't get, you won't get it later either. I had, I, by the way, by the way, on a side note, on a side note, I, I told the, the mule joke the other day. Everybody liked the first one. The second one was like, you know, crickets in the room. And I, I don't know how many of you come up to me and said, now tell me that, that mule joke again. I didn't get it. So I'll tell it. Every time I've told it again, it's like. <laughs> so just you have to trust me. It was a funny joke. Okay, you have, to, you have to have a twisted mind to get some of these. Where was I? What was I, what was I preaching about? Okay. Yeah. So, so Jesus, Jesus Christ, when he came and he was on this earth in his earthly ministry, he proved that he wasn't just Lord of the rich people, he was Lord of the poor people as well. 
In, in fact, he, he flocked a little bit more towards the poor people than he did the rich people, right? He proved that he was the Lord of the leper, the, the Lord of the sick, the Lord of the weak, not just the Lord of the healthy and Lord of the people who have their act together. The Bible says that Jesus, the Lord commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the lost. Jesus said, people who are healthy don't need a doctor. It's the people who are sick. Jesus was the Lord of all. Those who were generally moral and those who were completely wicked. Jesus was Lord of both. Jesus is Lord of the addict. Addict. He's Lord of the depressed. He's Lord of the lost. He's Lord of the confused. Jesus is Lord of all people. He leaves no one out. Hallelujah. This idea, I'm not, I'm not going to get too much into the weeds, but let me just say this, because I think it's important. You, you hear some teaching around these days, this idea that God has somehow pre-picked everybody. He's decided this person's going to be saved and go to heaven. This person's going to be lost and go to hell, and nobody has any choice over that. I've, this is already pre-planned. Can I encourage you this morning to know that the Bible says that God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. I believe that we are all predestined, meaning that God planned and made a way for every human being to be saved, to be delivered. Hallelujah. All of us are welcome. There's nobody that God puts aside because of any reason whatsoever. He's Lord of all. There's so much power. Peter, there at the end of that last verse I read, as, as he talks about, first of all, Peter said, look, I've, I've been with him. I've seen what he did. I've seen him after he was dead. He died. He rose again. This guy is for real. And he's declaring this to all of these Gentiles who, by the way, as, as Peter is is preaching about Jesus, the hearts of these Gentile people was stirred. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never been saved, but you just, and you, maybe you don't even really understand what's going on this morning completely, but, but you just feel a stirring. There's, there's something that makes you, it's kind of makes you uneasy, but it kind of makes you feel good all at the same time. It's just, and that what it is, it's the Holy Spirit that is dealing with you and showing you that you need Jesus as your Lord. And, and that happened as Peter is preaching, their hearts were stirred and, and they, all, they all got saved. They all turned their life over to the Lord and he became their Lord and Savior, just like they were, he was Peter's Lord and Savior. But in the last verse he says, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, through the name of Jesus. The name Dennis may not mean a thing to you and shouldn't. There's a lot of powerful names in the world today. May mean something to you, may not. Trump, that name may mean something to you, may not. Obama may mean something to you, it may not. Lots of powerful men in the world, but none of them have the power to forgive us of our sins. Amen? They may have the power to lop off our heads, but they don't have power over the control and the destiny of our eternal soul. Hallelujah. <laughs> It's only through the name of Jesus, so much power in the name of Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied, his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselors prophesying about Jesus when he comes, his name shall be called Wonderful. Have you ever, how many of you have found Jesus to be wonderful in your life? He shall be called Counselor. He gives us direction and advice and counsel when we don't know what we should do. His name should be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. His name should be called 
the Prince of Peace. If you hang a left there just a little bit, go back to Acts chapter number three. It's a familiar story. You've, you know it, but I think it's important for us to not only know what happened, but to understand how it happened. You know, in this particular instance, Peter and John are going into the temple to go pray, going in there to go get closer to God. And on the way, they notice a man, a crippled man, a lame man laying by the gate. This lame man who had been lame and been crippled his entire life. His entire life consisted of laying by the church, begging for money as people went in to worship God. And as Peter and John are going in, this man reaches his hand up to beg for money like he always had. And one of the, probably one of the most quoted verses, I'm going to read it in chapter 3, verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What power was it that this man was going to be able to stand when he had never stood in his life? His legs were no doubt shriveled and small. He was, Peter said, like most of us, I don't have any money to give you. You know, a lot of times that's what we want to do. We want to throw money at, at people. We want to throw money at a problem. And many times, most of the time, money's not the answer. Peter knew, he said, well, I could give you, gosh, I could give you a thousand bucks and by this time next week, you're going to need some more. Money's not the answer to your problem. What you need is a healing. What you need is for Jesus, the deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ, to change things in your life, to give you strength where you've always been weak before. I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, I'll give you in Jesus' name. Stand up and walk. And immediately, the Holy Spirit just went to work on this guy's legs. The bones began to strengthen, the, the, begin to lengthen. And this, the man literally stood on his feet and he tried them out. He tried out those new legs. He went walking. He went leaping. Lord's leaping. I did not mean to do that. I really didn't. It's just happening. It's just happening. Lord's leaping. Anyway, he, he went walking and leaping and praising God because things had changed. He had just discovered who Jesus Christ, Lord of all, really was. He probably had heard about Jesus, I'm sure. Everybody in that land at that day, in that time, had heard, no doubt, especially around the temple, they had heard, he'd heard about Jesus. He'd probably heard about how Jesus healed the blind man, how Jesus healed the leper, how Jesus healed, maybe rose somebody from the dead. And this blind man sitting there probably thinking to himself, well, he probably doesn't care enough to help me. Maybe he doesn't know me, doesn't love me, I'm not good enough or important enough. And in that moment to realize that he was just as important to Jesus as everybody else was. He, he'd just come into knowledge of Jesus who was Lord of all. And it's interesting whenever, of course, as anybody would, everybody sees this happening and, and people who were going in and out of there all the time and they knew this guy was a, a cripple, visibly they could see. I mean, it wasn't like he could fake it all those years. I mean, they knew he was a cripple and he wasn't able to walk. And now they see him, you know, running all over the place. Obviously, that's going to get everybody's attention. And everybody comes around and, and everybody's like, What's, what in the world's going on? And they're looking at Peter, who was the one that said, rise up and walk. And so they're looking at Peter like he was this great, you know, great holy man. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to understand, I'm a man like everybody else. It's, this guy is not walking because I made him walk. This is what Peter says in verse 16. And he begins to tell him about Jesus. The Jesus, the Christ that you crucified... 
His name, and I love this, by faith in his name. It was the, not only was it the name of Jesus that had the power to heal this guy, but it was that guy's faith in the name of Jesus. Amen? His name, the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This guy who had heard about Jesus, thinking Jesus probably would never give me the time of day. But when this man, who had compassion, who had the spirit of Christ in him, said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, the faith that this guy had and what Jesus could do for him changed his life forever. There's many, it's more of healing Deliverance comes in so many different forms and fashions. Amen? You may be physically healthy. You don't need a, maybe a physical healing like that, but spiritually you're lame. Spiritually you're crippled because you're distant from God. Can I tell you this morning, I don't have any money to give you. I can open my pockets and prove it. Oh, I guess I do. I got 10 bucks. I ain't gonna help you any. But I know that Jesus, the power that was in Jesus' name 2,000 years ago as this event was recorded, the power in that name is still just as powerful as it's ever been. There's an old song that says, uh, it never loses its power, so on and so forth. It doesn't lose its power. Take anything. You can, get, you can buy the most powerful truck, four-wheel drive, the whole bit, biggest engine, the most powerful vehicle you can get, and over time... What happens? It begins to lose its power. Jesus' power has never dimmed, not even one little bit, since creation, since the cross. There's still power in his name. And in, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter goes on to say, This Jesus that the stone, excuse me, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Look at this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven. No other name by any human being who has ever been born in which we can be saved and, and, and earn favor with God. We can't be saved through the name of Muhammad, through the name of Buddha, and all the other crazies who have 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 popped up over generations claiming to be Christ or Lord or God or there's no salvation in their name. All of those guys are still dead, right? How powerful can they be? They're dead. Yet people still pray to them. There's no other name under heaven. Jesus is the only one with power to save because Jesus could not be held even by death. He rose from the grave. There's power in his name and only by his name can we be saved. You can't get saved by your own name either, I might add. Well, I come from this family. We do, we've done all of this in the community. We've, we've given all this to the poor. We're not saved by our own name. You can have a name that you're a very generous person. And you can be a very generous person. That will not earn you a spot in heaven. That will not take your sins away because you have a name that you're generous the only name that gains us access to the throne room of God and the presence of God is the name of Jesus Christ. If you know him, say amen. amen. 
Hallelujah. Yeah, I'm going to wind this up. Uh, it goes on and on, obviously, especially through the book of Acts. You know, as Jesus ascended back to the Father and, and he established the church for Peter and James and John and Paul and all of these apostles that would carry the church on. And you read throughout the entire book of Acts and, and you see the great revivals that took place and the great acts of God that took place. And, it, and it's all because they acted in the name of Jesus. That was their focus. It wasn't some sort of tactic or some sort of formula for getting people into church. It was they just, they just declared the power that is in the name of Jesus. Paul was, uh, was followed around by a woman who was demon-possessed at one point. He was trying to, to preach the gospel and lead people to Jesus. And as the devil always does, his, his number one priority is to distract from that. I'm up here preaching about Jesus this morning. You may be distracted with something. You may be thinking about, maybe you're, maybe you're upset with somebody or maybe you're upset with me or maybe, maybe you're upset with your husband or your wife or maybe you're confused about this and, you, and your mind, you're distracted and that's what the devil does. Anytime somebody is declaring Jesus to be Lord, the devil's gonna try to distract that. And so Paul is preaching and He's preaching about Jesus and Satan is trying to distract by a demon-possessed woman who comes in and is going, oh yeah, he's, Paul is a preacher of the great God and she's doing all, causing this distraction. Paul looks at her and says, in Jesus, he speaks to the demon, not to the woman. He speaks to the demon and he says, in Jesus' name, I command you to come out of her. And the Bible says that immediately the demon spirit that was in her came out. Not because there was any power in Paul, but because of the name of Jesus that he spoke. That's where the power come from. You take a police officer, for example. We have some police officers and highway patrolmen here. They get up every day and they go to work and they put on a badge. When, when, they, when they pull you over and give you a ticket or arrest you or whatever, they're not operating in their own authority. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've, you've watched all the movies, right? They always say, stop in the name of the... I've always wanted to say that. Guys, if you've never said that, you've got to say it one of these days. Have you ever said it? No. Got to say that one of these days. Though. I've always wanted to say that. Stop in the name of the law. But ultimately, what are they saying? They're not saying, hey, stop because I'm all that and you need to do what I say. They're, they're wearing a badge that represents a higher authority. They are, they are representing the law. And it's in the name of the law that causes people to come under authority. And that's the way it is when we're, whether we're dealing with demonic powers or whether we're dealing with our own stubbornness or the people or whatever. It's not by our own authority. I don't want you to follow me. Well, then the name Dennis Walton doesn't mean anything. It means something... Something different to everybody else. It means nothing. I'm not asking you to follow me. I, I'm just wearing a badge, right? I'm just I'm representing a power and authority that is so far greater than I am. The name that is in Jesus still has the power to deliver if we're willing to accept it and believe in it. Amen? Jesus gave us, I don't even know what a power of attorney is. Power of an attorney is a legal, it's a legal document in which you can give somebody that you trust. You don't want to give somebody power of attorney if you don't trust them. Somebody that you trust, you give them permission, literally, to operate on your behalf. You literally give somebody permission to sign your name. If I, if I give my wife power of attorney over me, and if she signs Dennis J. Walton, it's exactly as if I signed Dennis J. Walton. It has the same legal effect. She is operating on my behalf. Huh. Whoa, that's a lot of responsibility. Jesus 
said, I am giving you power of attorney to those that I trust, to those who know me, not to those who are arrogant and prideful and out to make some sort of religious name. For, that doesn't work out very well. There's a wrong way to use the name of Jesus. You can read about that if you want to over about, oh, where was that at? Maybe around the 19th chapter of Acts, seven sons of Sceva. They're trying to cast out devils in the name of Jesus. The problem was they didn't know Jesus. You can't use Jesus' name unless you know Jesus. Amen? Don't go try and take on demons not knowing Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm giving you power of attorney. I'm giving you power to use my name. When you speak, when the enemy is coming against you, your home, your family, your mind, and you say humbly, you're surrendered to the Lord, and you say, Satan, I, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Satan has to respect that, not you. He has to respect the name of Jesus. That's where the power is. That's where the authority is. Hallelujah. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to close. There's a wrong way to use the name of Jesus. The scripture teaches us, not, this is not in Philippians, so I'm just talking until you get there. But the scripture teaches us this, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Meaning that if we're going to declare Christ's name and wear Christ's name, that we should reflect the nature of Christ. Isn't that fair? I mean, guys, if your wife is going to take your name, don't you want her to reflect your views? Right? If she's going to take your name, you don't want her out robbing banks, walking the street or something. She's reflecting your name. She, she wears your name, so she should reflect your views. She, she should be on the same page. And so Jesus is saying, for you to have wear my name, you should share my views. You should know and follow my teaching. Amen? That's fair. We should not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Right? God goes on to say this. So bold as to say, I will not hold you guiltless, those of you who take my name in vain. The name of Christ, way too powerful to be used in a slang, curse word, to be used for our own benefit. People do that all the time. Get on, get on, look at Facebook a little bit. I hate Facebook. I do. I'm on it. And I, I, for communication reasons only, I just I can't stand if you're a Facebooker and you do this, I'm not pointing fingers. I just can't stand to sit there and, and scroll down through all the junk. But it's through all the junk, what you'll find is that people will throw their verses at each other. You ever notice that? Have you ever seen that? Somebody's got a beef with somebody else. And so, they, well, the Lord says, and they, they throw the verses. They use God's name to make their point. That's just as much taking the Lord's name in vain as it is cursing with his name in front of it. You see what I'm saying? Using his name for something that is personal gain. He's too holy for that. His, his name means more than that. It's too powerful for that. We, we got to come back to a place of, to a place of where we are in awe of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus should bring goosebumps on our arms. It should make the, the hair on the back of our neck stand up. It's that powerful. It's that holy. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him, exalted Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mom, go ahead and come to the piano if you would, please. 
God has exalted the name of Jesus so that everybody will confess it at some point in time. Think about that. There are those on earth today who will never declare Jesus Christ as Lord. They won't confess him. They will refuse to until they grow to the grave. They'll refuse to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But the moment this life ceases, the moment they die and they open their eyes standing before God, they will then confess that Jesus Christ truly is Lord of glory. By then, it's too late. Everybody, everybody in hell right now, and there's people there, okay? I don't get any pleasure in saying that. I'm doing what I'm doing to keep people out of there, right? I want to make it, I want to do everything I can. I want to make it hard for people to go to hell. Amen? This is so easy. The plan of salvation, the invitation of God is so simple. But there'll be those that to the death will refuse him. And everybody that's in hell now is confessing Jesus as Lord. They recognize that he is Lord. And they're more than willing to confess that, but it's too late. So we have the opportunity now. It's in this life that, it's in this life that we confess him. We take advantage of the opportunity that we have even now to say, Lord, I I repent of all of my sins. And I give to you, O Lord God, full and complete control of my life. Would you stand with me this morning? Every head bowed, every